Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. Amen. We're still talking about Jesus. Is that a good subject to talk about? It doesn't matter if it's lesson number eight or lesson number 80. We're talking about Jesus. You know why? Because the gospel that you hear is the gospel that you're going to believe in and it's the gospel that you're going to live by. What we hear, we have faith in. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we hear the right thing, that's great. But if we hear the wrong thing, that's not so great. You have faith in something that is wrong and not even know it. And that's called deception. As a matter of fact, in the very beginning in the garden, that's exactly what Lucifer did to Eve, said to her some things that were not true. She, he said to her, had God said? And she should have said, yes, God had said. But she didn't. As a result, what did she do? She responded to the words, hath God said? She began to think about those things. She began to speak those things. She believed those things. And she saw the tree. She partook of the tree. And the rest is history, as we say. So what you hear is what you're going to believe in. You're going to have faith in it. You're going to live by that, even if it's wrong. So if you've been indoctrinated incorrectly, guess what? You're going to have a problem with what you believe in. And it possibly can prevent you or me from experiencing the fullness of what God has for us in this life. So I want us to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. I want us to hear what Jesus came to do. I want to hear what his ministry is all about, what his life is all about, why he was sent here from heaven above, what is his primary focus as far as ministry is concerned. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering his sight to the blind, set at liberty to bruise, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Did you hear? Preach, preach, preach. Three times. Preach, preach, preach. Preach good news. Well, you know what? It's great news. Not just good news, it is great news. If you're poor, if you're brokenhearted, if you're captive, if you're blind, if you're bruised, I've got some good news for all of us today. And what is that? Jesus is our jubilee. Jesus is our jubilee. What does it mean he's our jubilee? You don't have to go back and study the whole thing out just to find out three important things about Jesus being our jubilee. The acceptable year of the Lord is the 50th year. It's the year of jubilee. And there are three things associated with the year of jubilee that we need to be aware of and familiar with. Number one, it's personal freedom. He sets you free. So whatever it is that you came with this morning, he has set you free from it already. All we have to do is acknowledge it. Secondly, all goods are restored back to you. Anything that you gave up, anything that you lost during this particular time, your jubilee, you get it returned and you get it restored. It's all yours. You get it back in the 50th year. And the third thing is we rest in faith. We cease from work. You see, the 50th year, they cease from working and laboring. They're to live off the fruit of the land to do nothing but rest in we call it resting in the finished work of Christ, having faith in what God has done, believing and trusting in the work of redemption. And that's exactly what we're living in right now, the year of Jubilee. So whatever door Adam opened, Jesus shut. Whatever door Adam shut, Jesus opened. He shut the door to the entrance of the presence of Almighty God. But guess what? Jesus threw the door wide open, ripped it veiled from top to bottom, and made the way plain for us to enter in by His precious blood at the throne of God and have fellowship with the Father. Can you say amen? amen. Now I want you to notice something else. 
Jesus did not finish that prophecy that Isaiah gave in Isaiah 61. Because you see, there was another statement in there. He did not say the day of the vengeance of our, of our God. He didn't say that. He left that out. Why? Because we're not living in the day of vengeance. Because he didn't come to bring wrath upon us. What did he come to bring? Mercy and truth. Forgiveness and grace. That's what he came to bring. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 17. Jesus came. The law was given by Moses. We know that. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you're under the law? Aren't you glad we're not bound by legalism? Aren't you glad that he came and brought grace and truth and we're under the, law, we're under the life of grace, the ministry of grace? This is the dispensation of grace right now. And truth, Jesus said, if you stay in my word and continue with it and know it, you'll know the truth and the truth will what? Make you free, set you free. And so you see, we should be hearing from our pulpits this gospel that Jesus came to preach himself. Preach it, preach it, preach it. Because we need to hear it, hear it, hear it. Because faith comes by it. So the enemy knows the best way he can undermine the work of God in the life of any believer is to do what? Deception. Deception. Inject into their thought lives half-truths. For example, we know God heals, but it may not be his will to heal you. He, you see, he's a sovereign God, but... In his sovereignty, you understand, he may not want to deliver you or help you or set you free. You might have to suffer that for a season because you see God's working on you. That's the gospel a lot of people hear. I've got some good news for you. For me, that's not good news. That's not great news. God is a sovereign God. And in his sovereignty, he bound himself to his word. And when he bound himself to his word, he said, what I say, I cannot lie. I will never, never, never fail to produce. So you can trust me. You can believe in me. And if I say I will help you, I will help you. If I say I will bless you, I will bless you. If I say you're delivered, you're delivered. If I say you're set free, you're set free. So listen to what I say. Don't listen to what the devil says. Don't listen to what the tradition says. Don't listen to what the doctors and men say. Listen to what the word says. I came to preach good news to the poor. I came to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering a sight to the blind, set a liberty to bruise, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You've had everything returned back to you. Praise God. You are personally free. You've got all your, all your things you lost back. And praise God, you can rest in the faith of the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Can you say amen to that? So he bound himself to his word. And if he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. He cannot in any way allow one promise of his not to come to pass. Some of you are looking at me like an old cow to Newgate. So let me qualify what I'm saying, okay? And listen carefully before you answer this question. Can, can God destroy the earth by a flood? I hear yes, no. Listen to the word. I said, can he? Does he have the power to do it? Does he have the ability to do it? So can he? Will he? Why not? Why not? You're getting it. <laughs> Did he make a promise? Does he have to honor it? Can he renege on it? 
Can he go back on it? So am I correct in saying he can, but he won't? So in actuality, he can't do it because he made a promise, so he won't do it. So if you have a promise of God, you see why it's so important to find out the promise of God? Because if you have the promise of God, then you know what God must do. That's how Isaac was offered up on the mountain of sacrifice because God knew that, I mean, Abraham knew that if I kill him, God has got to raise him from the dead. He has to raise him from the dead or God breaks a promise. He's never altered one word out of his mouth. My covenant will not break, he said, or alter a word from my mouth. Not one word of his promise ever failed to come to pass. You see, you can't have faith in God if God can change his mind. So is he sovereign? Yes. But in his sovereignty, what did he do? He made promises. And those promises he negotiated between, Jesus negotiated between himself and the Father, and they came in agreement and said, this is your benefit. This is your benefit. This, what's the benefit? The condition of a contract? Anybody have benefits where you work? Two of you. You have benefits where you work? So let me just put it like this. I'll just throw it out there as easy as I possibly can. You have benefits where you work, and that includes hospitalization. And so when your wife became pregnant and she had to go to a hospital to deliver a baby, and you walked in there and they said, you have an insurance card, I said, yeah, but I don't want to use it. I'd rather pay cash. How many of you said that? How many of you did that? Said you'd rather pay cash than present your card? I rebuke you. <clears throat> How many of you would present, would rather present cash than your insurance card? No one, right? No one should. Why would you do that? You've got a benefit. Where are you going with this? Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so your youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Don't forget one benefit. Those are all our benefits. They're a condition of a contract. And God made this contract with human, the human race through the blood of Jesus Christ. He sealed it with his blood. And therefore, he cannot. He has the power to do it. But he can't do it because he made a promise. Renege on anything he's ever said. He can't do it. He won't do it. He sealed it with blood. Amen. So now you're ready for this? We're talking about Jesus. Reconciliation. Jesus came to this earth to settle the differences that existed between God and man. Jesus came here to reconcile us. What does reconcile mean? He came to do what? Establish friendly relations. To, to restore friendly relations between, let's say, individuals. That's what it means. To, to It also means that you can create peace or make peace by settling the differences that exist. Well, good example. Let's just say that you owe someone, maybe a company, something, and you don't pay your, your bill. They keep bothering you with all kinds of phone calls, letters, and all that sort of thing. And there's kind of friction there between the two of you. You haven't paid your bill, and obviously they're not happy with you. Well, how are you going to settle the differences? Pay the bill? You won't get the phone calls? You won't get the kind of mail that you don't want to get? 
Why? Because someone settled the differences. You did. Well, how many of you know that you cannot in any way, shape, form, or fashion settle the differences between you and God? There's no possible way any man on this earth could possibly settle the differences between God and man. God sent his son, Jesus, to reconcile us to himself. He sent Jesus to settle the differences that existed between God and man. And when Jesus came here on this earth, he did everything he could possibly do to reconcile God and man. Look in the book of Colossians and look at what it says in chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. He is the head. This is from the New King James Version. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Can you say it with me? I'm holy, blameless, and above reproach in the sight of God. He sees you holy. He sees you blameless. He sees you above reproach. Why? Because you've been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. He settled the differences between God and man, and this is the new you. Aren't you glad that's you? You could never make yourself be that way. You can never work hard enough to be that way. You see, works could never do it. Keeping laws could never do it because you and I could never keep the law. But somebody came to keep the law for every one of us, and he did. And because of what he did, he settled the differences between God and man. In Romans chapter um, 5, and verse 1, look at what it says, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, by what? Faith means to believe in something, right? You believe in this. You're believing in the finished work of Christ. You're resting in the fact that Jesus is your jubilee and my jubilee. We have what with God? We have peace with God. He made peace between us and God through our Lord, through our, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace where we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is the gospel. The gospel is this. You and I were on the outside looking in because of Adam. Because of Jesus, every single one of us who is in the world today can have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you've made him the Savior and Lord of your life, you have peace with God right now. And God views you as holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. There's nothing you can do to improve on that ever. None of us can. It's our position in Christ. It's based on His finished work and not ours. It's based on His performance and not mine and not your performance. And this is the gospel that we need to preach to people. Why? Because He called us to be ministers of reconciliation. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Every single one of us has been reconciled to God. And because we've been reconciled, we now are ministers of reconciliation. And to make it known to the world that God is not holding anything against any individual that is in this world today. No matter how horrible they are, He is not holding anything against them. Especially believers, my goodness, He's not holding anything against you or me or any of us. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 14. 
For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then were all dead. What does he mean by that? Well, if Christ died for everyone in the world, then everyone in the world was dead. No matter where they come from, doesn't matter who they are, what their background is, they were all dead. So everyone is dead outside of Christ, but Christ died for each and every one. That means since we were all dead, he had to die for all the human race, and he died for all the human race so that we can live. Look at the next verse, verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So what that means is since we were all dead, but we've accepted him as Savior and Lord of our lives, right? Now we're alive in him. What is our obligation? What is our duty? To live for him. To live our lives in such a way to honor him, to glorify him, to show him that we love him, we appreciate what he's done for us. So you see, he died for the world, but not everybody in the world accepts him. But you and I have accepted him, so we're justified. We have peace with God. And the motivation should be he loved me so much that he gave his life for me that I should love him so much that I live for him. I love him. I serve him. I honor him. I alter my behavior, my conduct, my attitudes to line up with his. And that's for everyone. Look at the next verse, verse 16. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Notice that statement. We know no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Paul, what are you talking about here? You know what he's talking about? We don't view people after who they are in the flesh. doesn't matter if they're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if they're bond or free, bound or free. It doesn't matter if they're a male or a female. It doesn't matter what their race is, ethnicity is. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor, if they're learned or unlearned. It doesn't matter what their education is. It doesn't matter what their social status is. As a matter of fact, we knew Christ when he was here in the flesh and we saw him in the flesh, but now that he's resurrected, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, we don't see him here through the flesh, but we know him for who he is. So as I look out and I see each and every one of you out there, and you see me, we all see each other, but not after the flesh. Because you see the next verse says, if any man, look at verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new species that never before existed. He is a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. I am not looking at people based on who they are in the flesh. I am looking at people at who they are in Christ because Christ paid a price to reconcile them back to himself, to God himself. He, he did all that was necessary. You see, he paid the debt that he did not owe, that we owed, so that we could become reconciled to God, become sons and daughters of the Most High God, and we could say, I'm a new creature, I'm a new creation. You know what that means? I'm not even to see myself as who I am in the flesh. And this is where the body of Christ has missed it, and this is where the church has missed it. When I hear people say things like, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, I'm telling you right now, they haven't studied Jesus. Because you were an old sinner. And I'll be quick to tell you that you were. And so was I. But I was saved by grace. And you've been saved by grace. You're no longer that old sinner because the devil wants to give you that half truth. You see. 
He wants you to just sit back and just focus on you're just an old sinner. You just can't do it. You're broken hearted. You can barely get along. You can't live your life like you want to live your life because this is always bothering you. That is always bothering you. You realize that what you have faith, what you hear and believe you're going to have faith in and it will control and govern your life. If you hear all that stuff that the enemy throws into your thought process, you're going to be bound by that. You are more than a conqueror in this life. You are a world overcomer by your faith. But I don't feel like one. Who says we walk by feelings? We walk by faith and not by sight. Don't judge yourself who you are in the flesh because no one can ever live up to anything that God would have us to do. Your flesh, my flesh, it is no good thing. Matter of fact, you know what it's good for? To be crucified, Jesus said. Paul said, crucify the flesh. Put it to death. Don't let it live. How do I crucify the flesh? How do I put it to death? I start telling it, you know who you are in Christ. When you look in that mirror and you see yourself in the morning, oh, your hair may be disheveled and that sort of thing, and maybe your makeup's not on and all that sort of thing, and maybe you haven't shaved yet and all that, but you are not who you are in that mirror. You are God's masterpiece. You are a new creation. You are a world overcomer. You're more than a conqueror by your faith in God. You see, you're a different person. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel message. He took you, lifted you up, cleaned you up, and set you up on high. You're seated with Him in high heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And He did it all because He loves you. There's nothing that you can do to eliminate yourself from what God has done for you in Christ. You see, you're resting in that truth, those truths. You're not resting in what you see in the mirror. You're not judging yourself as to who you are in the flesh. We can never live up to it. I don't believe in being legalistic. You and I could never, 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 never satisfy the claims of justice that were held against us. But another did. Jesus did. So you see, in, in, the enemy wants us not to say who we are. In the book of Proverbs uh, 23, verses 15 and 16, we are told that God rejoices when our lips speak right things. Did you know that? Oh, he says, you'll make my heart happy when you start saying or speaking right things. Stop saying you're a worm in the dust. Stop saying that you're not qualified. Stop saying that I just can't make it. Stop saying I just can't do it. Start saying things like, I can do all things through Christ who is the strength of my life. Say, I am more than a conqueror. I am more of overcomer. Start saying, greater is he that's in me than he is in the world. You see, you're in Christ. You're a new species. You have, you're a new creation. You have a brand new life. And that life is found where? Hidden in God in Christ. All right. And then look at the next here. Old things have passed away means your carnal view of yourself has changed. Your carnal view of others have changed. Passed away means completely instantly gone. And behold, he says, behold, gaze upon this. What, what am I going to gaze upon? What am I going to look at? Look at verses 18 and 19. All things are of God. And all things are of God. God made a deposit in you and me. Whom? Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Say with me, I am reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. You know what that means? It means that everything that was done, that needed to be done, was done by Jesus Christ to satisfy the claims that were being held against us by the high court of heaven. He satisfied those claims. He did what was necessary to bring us back together, to restore a friendly relationship that we have with God right now, and to make peace by settling the differences. So now you and I are reconciled to God, and praise God, we're new creations in Christ Jesus, and we can 
live by who we are in Him, not who we are in ourselves. To wit or to make it known. Look at the next part of this. To wit means to make it known. <clears throat> I'll back it up. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? To make it known that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses under them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So you and I are ministers of reconciliation. And what that means is, you know, where you work, or where you fellowship, or where you have uh, social activities, or that sort of thing, who are to let people know? First of all, you're to know you're a minister of reconciliation. You're to let people know around you, God's not holding anything against you. Aren't you glad God's not holding anything against you? It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And when you start telling people, God is not holding anything whatsoever against you. But you don't know how mean I've been. He's not holding that against you. But you know what I've done in my past. He's not holding that against you. There's only one thing he'll be holding against anyone. If you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Because you see, that's what it's all about. Jesus paid the price. Jesus did what you couldn't do. Jesus is the one who performed for you and for me. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. And all of what we just said becomes a reality in your life. You're a new creation. All things pass away. All things become brand new. In Christ, He sees you cleansed by His precious blood. More than a conqueror, world overcomer, having an inheritance in the saints of life. Actually, you become a saint, not a sinner. You actually stop being a sinner and you become a saint. You realize that. You're a saint, not a sinner. But you see, the devil wants you to focus on, I'm a sinner. You say, how can you say that? Everybody sins. I didn't say you didn't sin. I said you're not a sinner. Everyone sins, but you're not a sinner. You're a saint. You missed the mark. You sin, repent, get under the blood. Everything is fine. Can you say amen? Look at the next verse. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is a representative of the highest order. You've been sent by God to the world that you live in to represent Him. And you've got the whole force and the government of heaven and the authority thereof standing behind you as you let someone know, praise God, God's not holding anything against you. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So as ministers of reconciliation, it is up to us to urge other people to be reconciled to God. Jesus made it possible. It's up to you to, by faith, accept it. So what do we tell these people? It's the year of Jubilee. Number one, you can have everything back. Number two, you can have personal freedom. And number three, you can rest in the works of Christ. You've ceased from your labors and you're just believing in what Jesus did for you. Doesn't that make it easier to serve Christ? To walk with God? It's all about what Jesus did. It's all about what he did. The whole Old Testament's about Jesus. And let me tell you this, this is another truth. Can you pull up 1 Timothy 2, 5? <clears throat> Paul, if you, can, if you don't mind doing that real quick. 1 Timothy 2, 5. The Bible says that Jesus, in his present-day ministry, you know, a lot of Christians don't even know about this, his present-day ministry, he hasn't stopped working for you. But he is working for you right now as your high priest, as your mediator, as your advocate, as your intercessor, and as your guarantee of every word of the new covenant. Those five things he is doing right now at the Father's right hand. But here's one of them. There is one God. How many of you believe that? And 15 mediators between... How many mediators? 
What is a mediator? A go-between? Wait a minute. Anybody here want to get to God? Anybody here want to get your prayer to God? There's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man. Someone once called me the man. I said, no, no, no. No, no, no. No, there's only one man, the man, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. One mediator. You know what that means? Anytime you pray, anytime I pray, it goes to the Father through Jesus Christ. No one else. No one else. There's no other way. And to do it any other way is to be unbiblical and not to do it God's way. Jesus said, if you ask the Father anything in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask in my name and it shall be given to you. He said, I'm not even saying what to pray for you myself. How about that one? He said, the Father loves you, so you pray in my name and he will give it to you. There's only one mediator. No one else holds that position. No one else we can get to the Father through but by one person, Jesus Christ. And here it is, verse 21. I've been longing to get to this verse. For he, the Father God, has made him to be sin for us. Simple words. Oh, but the impact behind those words. God the Father made Jesus the Son to be what? To be what? He took upon himself your sin nature, my sin nature, and he put it on Jesus on the cross. He became sin itself for us. Notice, not sins, but sin itself. The nature of sin was placed upon him who knew no sin, and he did it for a reason. And what's the reason? So that you and I will not be made sinners saved by grace, that you and I would be made the righteousness of God. Whose righteousness? Of God. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, guess what? You can't get more righteous than that. You're in right standing with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and you can't get more righteous than that. You can only become more righteous conscious. You're aware of your righteousness. But you see, when you hear people from behind the pulpit, and they start saying all this crazy stuff, like, oh, I'm just so unworthy. I'm an unworthy sinner saved by grace. Oh, Father, heal my prayer. Come on now. You haven't studied the Pauline revelation. You have no clue all the work that Jesus did to make you righteous and holy. Paul called you a saint. And here we are belittling ourselves. Why? Because we believe the lie of the devil. What you hear is what you believe in. Notice Jesus said, take heed what you hear and how you hear it. Oh, I'm going to meddle here in just a moment. Can I meddle just for a little bit? When I did my uh, Friday healing class, I just kind of got off on a little bit of a tangent. Never got to my notes. Kind of, kind of got on this tangent. If you were there, you know that. <clears throat> and it surely came to pass. I wasn't prophesying, but it came to pass yesterday. Yesterday? Yeah, I think it was yesterday. Here's, how, here's what happened. I said, what you hear is what you're going to believe in, and you're going to live by that. That's, that's what you're going to have faith in. Okay? So when you hear these people these preachers. You see, this media is a wonderful thing, but it could be a bad thing as well. And you hear all these voices that are out there saying all these contradictory things. And you know, the average Christian falls for it, hook, line, and sinker. You start believing in it. Well, the gospel you hear, you're going to believe in. You're going to live by it. It's going to control your life. And so when I said, when someone tells you something about a special day, 
This is when the anointing is going to fall. This is your greatest day of breakthrough. You're going to have this flow of power. And you see, it's going to happen on that day. And it, the, the implication is, if you miss that window of opportunity and it closes, you can still be blessed, but really not a whole lot. Just a little bit. So, I just happened to listen to someone on TV after that. I was waiting for it. I was watching, I was listening, I was waiting for it. Because, you see, this person, this minister, was talking about Pentecost. Pentecost is the next, we know, feast, right? To be celebrated. The Jewish feast of Pentecost, which has already passed many years ago. But you see, Pentecost is around the corner. What does um, Pentecost mean? Anybody know? How many days is it after? Okay, 50. 50. I was waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it. This is a special day. And this is when you're going to have your special breakthrough. And this is when the anointing is going to be so rich and so strong and it's going to increase. And you're going to have a divine flow and a divine breakthrough. 50 days, CC, 50 days. So, send in your $50. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Because you see, if you really want this, this really stronger anointing, send in your $50 for this special release. We will pray for you. There will be a release of this anointing. And you're going to have this greater breakthrough. But then again, for the rest of you, if you really need a big breakthrough, send in your $500. I turned it off before it went to $5,000 or $50,000. Can I share something with you? No day is different than today. No day is different than when Jesus was raised from the dead. When Jesus was raised from the dead, the veil was ripped in two. The door to the throne of God was open, and every single day is a day of blessing in the life of a believer. Every single day is an anointed day in the life of a believer. The hand of God is upon you today and every day of your life, and you can have as much of the glory that you want on every given day since Jesus was raised from the dead. You don't need a special day. You don't need to send in $50. You don't need to send in $500. You don't need water from the Jordan or anything like that or a special fountain. You've got the fountain of life on the inside of you. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in this world. Hallelujah. You've got Jesus. Alright, we got to do this real quick. Can we do this real quick? Alright, let's throw these up here. You're an ambassador for Christ, a representative on high, to let them know, let people know these things. Are you ready for them? As an ambassador, as a representative, here's what you're supposed to be sharing as a minister of reconciliation. Jesus on the left side was made sin for you, so that you'd be made what? Are you righteous? Did you have anything to do with it? You're the righteousness of God in Christ. Say it with me, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Absolutely. Number two, Jesus was rejected for us. So that you and I would be accepted. He was 
a man of sorrow. He was rejected. Okay, he was rejected of men. A man of sorrow. So Jesus was rejected. Okay, so that you and I would be accepted. You know, rejection is not a fun thing, is it? Do you ever try to go somewhere? I don't. I'm not a golfer. I don't belong to a country club or anything like that. Um, I used to just do the swing pass, but that was about it, um, just for a couple of months in the summer. Because you see, sometimes maybe you don't make enough money to be a part of the country club. You don't look good enough to be a part of their little group. You know, you're not the right personnel, or you don't have the right background. So you see, you're not accepted. You are rejected. I'm sure there are many institutions here upon the earth that we might be rejected from. But I want you to know something else. You're accepted in the beloved. You're accepted before the throne of God. You're accepted at the throne before the angels on high, before all the heavenly hosts. You are accepted before Almighty God because He was rejected. See, it's not about you. Not about you, your status, not about your intelligence, your knowledge, not about your performance or your works or whatever you've done. It's not about how much money you have or anything. Is that whether you're white, black, brown, red, blue, whatever, you're smurf, whatever it is. We're all accepted in the beloved because of Jesus, not because of us. Hallelujah. Number three. Number three. He suffered sorrow. You suffer sorrow? I want you to know something. He suffered sorrow for you so that you would have a joy unspeakable, full of the glory of Almighty God. Hallelujah. Your joy does not come from the world. Your joy does not come from your family, does not come from your home, doesn't come from your job, your occupation, your status. It doesn't come from your education. Your joy comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's, got, he's given you joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. See, there's a divine exchange that's taking place and most believers don't even know it. Look at the next one, number four. Let people know he was despised so that you could be esteemed. Hallelujah. Lift up your head. Put those shoulders back. Stand firm and stand strong before society because you see, he was despised. I and you are esteemed. Praise God. You ready for this one? Even the devils know your name. You didn't say that loud enough. They know your name. You're esteemed, praise God. Remember the seven sons of Sceva? When they tried to, when the, when the you know, the sorcerer, these others to try to cast out the devil from the man. Remember that? And they tried to do it because they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And they said, we know Paul, buddy, and we know Jesus. But who are you and pounced on him they didn't esteem who he was whatsoever but I'm telling you when you know you are who you are in Christ you are esteemed and even the demons of hell tremble when you wake up in the morning can you imagine what it's like when you wake up and they say the crazy Christian is up again what in the world are we going to do now can you imagine that? Look at yourself that way. First of all, hello, hallelujah, I love your father. I thank you. Yeah, devil, I'm awake, praise God. <laughs> Too bad. Amen. You're esteemed before the throne of God. You're esteemed before all the powers of darkness because, you see, they know that you know who you are in Christ. 
I can go into some detail, but I just, number, number five. Let's, let's go to number five. He bore our sickness. He carried our pain, right? Did he? Yeah, he did. Why? So that we would be healed and made whole. See, healing comes from him. It's based on what he did. Too often people are trying to get healed instead of saying, I've been healed. I have been healed. In Christ I was healed. In Christ I am healed. So therefore, even though my body's trying to tell me, uh-uh, no you're not, silence it and start saying, I'm crucifying you right now. I'm putting you in silence right now. He, he closed his mouth so that we can open ours. Amen? He, he was silent before his shears as a lamb shot silent before his shears is dumb. So he opens out his mouth so that you and I can open our mouth and say, I, he was made sin, I'm righteous, I'm accepted, I've got unspeakable joy, I'm esteemed before heaven and before all the powers of darkness, and I've been made whole by the stripes that Jesus bore for me. He did it for me. And the gospel you hear is the gospel you're going to believe in, and that's what you're going to live by. And so when you got all these theologians telling you, but that word healed there doesn't really mean healed physically. It just means healed spiritually. I've had that to where I'm, 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 I'm nauseated with it. And you know why? Because 1 Peter 2.24, the Greek word that's used there, healed, is a Greek word that only means physical healing, not spiritual. And you don't need to be a Greek scholar to know that. Look it up in your Strong's. Any reference to that word that's used? It only talks about physical healing. So say it with me, with his stripes, I was healed. Hallelujah. So I am healed. Now tell your body to line up. Body to line up. Tell Arthur to move out. You know, Arthur, Ritus, Mr. Ritus. Amen. Look at the next one, number six. He was judged and punished. Jesus was. Why? I could be forgiven and justified. Say it with me. I'm forgiven. I'm justified. And justified means just as if I never sinned. God views me just as if I never sinned. Man, if that doesn't get you to shout and get a new shouter. Glory to God. Look at the next one, number seven. He suffered anguish so that you and I could have peace. You might be saying, but I don't have peace of mind. Well, then start saying you do. When you get up and you start feeling all this anguish and all this stuff and the anxiety and despair and everything like that, stop right there and just say, uh, 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 I'm talking to you. Talk to it like you talk to your kid. Okay? Anguish, anxiety, worry, fretting, frustration. I speak to you in the name of Jesus. I have peace. Peace that the world didn't give. Peace that the world can't take away. I've got peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. He so cast your care on Him, and He cares for you. And He'll keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on Him because you trust in Him. Look at number eight. He became poor so that you can be provided for. We don't operate by the principles of the world. The world says hoard so you can have more. And Jesus says give so you can have more. Right? Yeah, that's what he says. That's the, world, uh, the world says hoard it and you'll have more. Put it away and stockpile it and all that. Then you're going to have more. But God says give it away and you'll have more. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Press down. Shake it together. Running over. Men will pour forth into your bosom. Praise God. And it's not just finances, it's mercy, it's grace. And whatever it is you give to people, you'll get back. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Next one, number nine. He was cut off. I love this one. He was cut off from the land of the living so you and I could be joined to the Lord. 
Oh, hallelujah. There was no other way for you to be joined, for me to be joined to the Lord. He was cut off so that you and I could be joined. And then number 10, he bore our shame so that we could share in his glory. Hallelujah. Let me ask you a question. Are you a jar of clay? Second Corinthians chapter 5 or in chapter 4 as well. Are you a jar of clay? Now, your earthly body is called a jar of clay in Scripture, okay? You're a jar of clay. Made from the dust of the earth, just a jar of clay. Right? When Adam was made, formed from the dust of the earth, became a, he had a body, but there was nothing in it until God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, right? He became a living soul. So the outward man is like a tent or a jar of clay. In that jar of clay, God made a deposit of his glory, right? Do you see yourself having the glory of God in you? The Shekinah glory that came down, that burned up the sacrifice and lit up the water, that is on the inside of you. But here's my point. You know why it's there? Because he bore your shame. You know the shame that Adam brought to the human race when he sinned against God and he hid because he was naked, ashamed, and afraid before God? Remember that? Jesus hung naked, ashamed, on the cross, before heaven, before earth, and before the underworld. Why? So that by his bearing our shame, we could share in his glory. God could not make a deposit of his glory in you until Jesus bore your shame and bore my shame. Well, he did it for us. And now that you've accepted him, God sent the glory from above and it came into your being. He gave you a new heart, a new life. Everything's of God. You got his divine nature. You got his Zoe life, more abundant life on the inside of you. Whew, glory be to God. Can I have one more minute? How many of you will give me one more minute? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I got ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, forty minutes, fifty minutes. Look at the next one. He was sacrificed, or he tasted death for us so that we could taste his Zoe life. We have that. But to get it, my point is this. He was made those things so we could have the... It's a divine exchange. For me to say I taste his life, it meant he had to suffer my death. Can you see that? I want us to appreciate Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So don't tell me I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Tell me I'm the righteousness of God. Tell me I'm a masterpiece in the sight of my Heavenly Father. He washed me in the blood of His Son. I'm reconciled and so are you. Look at the next one. Number 12. He, he was sacrificed. Why? To make us perfect. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us all the sacrifices of animals that were slain could never make the worshiper perfect. But this man, by his one sacrifice, he has forever perfected them that come to God by him. Say with me, I'm perfected in Christ. Fully mature in the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Now look at the next one. You better get your shouting clothes on. He was made a curse for us. Why? So that we could be blessed 
and unable to be cursed. Let this sink in your ears. He was made the curse for us so that we could be blessed and unable to be cursed. So if anybody came this morning thinking you're under a curse, I've got some great news for you. Listen to it. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with a few, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you blessed with all spiritual blessings? So we, we settle that, right? You're blessed. Say it with me. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings. Now, did he redeem you from the curse of the law that the blessings of Abraham might come on you? Say, I'm blessed with the blessings of Abraham. And Paul says that he would come to them in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ, right? So say, I'm blessed with the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. So let me ask you a question again. Are you blessed? So you're blessed, right? Now look at Numbers chapter 22 and verse 6. If you don't know the story, if you're not familiar with this, Balak was afraid of the people of Israel. So Balak got a hold of Balaam, who was a professional curser. A diviner. He would pronounce curses upon people. And about, okay? He was working, you could say, cooperating with the devil. All right? So he calls him and he wants him to go pronounce a curse upon the Israelites. Please come and curse these people for me because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on people you curse. Oh, go to Numbers 23 and verse 8. He tried to. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom the Lord has not condemned? You see, he tried to curse the Israelites, and guess what happened? Every time he opened up his mouth and started speaking, a blessing came out, not a curse. He tried to curse him, a blessing. And the king says, what are you doing? I told you to curse them and your blessing. He goes, I can't curse them because every time I open up my mouth, it blesses them. How can I curse them if God didn't curse them? Look at the verse 19. This is the context of verse 19. We quote this all the time, but I want you to see the context of verse 19. God is not a man, uh, so he does not lie. He's not human, so he does not change his mind. He has never spoken and failed to act. He, has he ever promised and not carried it through. Listen, I received the commandment to command to bless. God has blessed and I cannot reverse it. I cannot reverse it. Go on out of verse 23. No curse can touch Jacob. No magic has any power against Israel. For now it will be said of Jacob what wonders God has done for Israel. Put this all together. What do you find out? You can't be blessed because a curse rather because God has blessed you and if God has blessed you no witch no warlock no demon no power no force on earth can curse you or your family and there's no such thing hear me there's no such thing as a generational curse there is no Oh, I know, but you've been watching TV and you saw this brother. They're selling books on generational curses. Forget it. I'm just going to get bold enough to say it finally. You know why? Because what you hear is what you're going to live by. And if that's what you... I'll give you some testimonies here. 
have one more minute. I'm telling you right now. You read the book of Exodus, and here's what you find out. This is where they based this generational curse on. If you worship idols, then your son will follow in your footstep and worship the idols, and this pattern will fall upon you from one generation to the next. That's not a curse. It's a practice. So in other words, you can say it like this. If you use drugs and you do it in front of your children and you actually participate with your children, they'll probably do that with their children and their children's children. If you're an alcoholic and you give alcohol to your young child, which we've seen many people do, then they'll get hooked on it and before you know it, they pass it on. That's what he was saying. And this is what he said. He said, and this is what they do who hate me. You can read it next to this. These are the Ten Commandments. They do it because they hate God. Anybody here hate God? No, you don't hate God. Okay, so he wasn't saying that it's a generational curse. He's saying you people are doing this and your children are going to follow in your footsteps as you worship idols because you hate me. And you don't hate him. Okay, that's number one. Then he went into Exodus, Ezekiel rather, and he said, these, chapter 18, he said, you know what? He got so tired of this. He said to the Israelites, to the prophets, he said, stop it. Stop using this proverb. Stop saying that the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are rotted out. Let me make that in our modern vernacular. Stop saying fathers eat gummy bears and the children's teeth are rotting out. What sense does that make? That make any sense to you? None, right? So God said to the people of Israel, stop using that proverb. It's a lie. That can't happen. Don't say that God is holding the sins of the father on the, peep, on the children. Besides, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. And besides, he went on to say that if a father sins, he'll be accountable for it. If the son sins, he'll be accountable for it. Stop saying that this is a proverb. It does, it's not even true. Okay, so, so what is the bottom line here? Have you been blessed? Has he pronounced a blessing on you? Are you blessed when you get up in the morning? Are you blessed when you lay your head to rest? Every day of your life, are you blessed? Are you blessed coming in? Are you blessed going out? Are you blessed in the city? Are you blessed in this field? Are you blessed in a basket? Are you blessed in the store? Are you, are you blessed as the head? Are you blessed as the, not the tail? Are you above and not beneath? Are you blessed with the full blessings of the gospel of Christ as it redeemed you from the curse? Have you been redeemed from the curse of the law? Then you cannot be cursed. You cannot be cursed. Impossible. Real quick, one, one more testimony now. We'll, we'll leave. I got to get this out. Got to get it out. This one woman was having a miserable life for 10 years. 10 years of miserable life. But before those 10 years, she was a wonderful, wonderful, on fire Christian. And when she went to a minister and said to the minister, I want you to break this curse from off my life, he said, Sweetheart, you can't be cursed. Oh, she says, I'm under a curse. No, you can't. I'm not. Now, he's telling her she's blessed and she's saying I'm cursed. Which church service do you want to go to? She said, I'm cursed and I know I'm cursed. 
he, he couldn't convince her that she's blessed. So he got aside and just said to the Lord, Lord, help me deal with this woman because she doesn't believe what I'm saying to her. And she's under this curse. She thinks she's under a curse. And she's not. And I know that she's not. You know that she's not. But she thinks that she is. What should I tell her? He said, tell her, how long have you been under this curse? And she, so he went and said to her, how long have you been under the curse? She said, 10 years. Well, what happened 10 years ago when this thing started? I went to a church service where I was taught about curses. And how as Christians, we can be cursed with all this, that, that witches and warlocks put curses on people that are Christians and congregations and all that sort of thing. Some were even actually driving, flying in airplanes to break curses over, over, congre over congregations and localities and all that. So he said to her, so you're telling me that for the last 10 years, you've been under a curse and you changed what you believe when you heard that you could be cursed. And so for 10 years, you've been experiencing all this horrific stuff in your life. And she said, yes. Then it hit her. Are you telling me that because of what I changed, what I believe, that this has been an open door to the devil to get me? It's exactly what I'm telling you, lady. Exactly what I'm telling you. You changed what you believed. You now believe you can be cursed. And because you believe you can be cursed, you're saying you're cursed. And you're saying you're cursed and you're having all this stuff in your life. Go back to what you believe before. That you're washed in the blood, born again, spirit-filled, faith-walking, tongue-talking, armor-bearing, devil-resisting, love-practicing, living epistle of the living Christ, notary of all men. And I can't be cursed because God has blessed me. She was delivered and set free.